I ask you to open your Bibles to the uh, book of 1 Peter. Let me uh, say as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, a few things that I uh, hope that you would take to heart. Um, this week, uh, I learned that our one of our church secretaries, Antoinette McKinnon, uh, who served as the pastor's secretary for about 12 years, has uh, indicated that uh, she's going to uh, be leaving us and going to another business in town where she uh, can better her situation. And uh, so um, uh, we are, as you know already, kind of understaffed. So if you will be in prayer about that situation, and if you uh, know of someone who would be interested in uh, serving in that capacity as pastor, secretary, administrative assistant. If you'd uh, let us know, you can come by the office uh, and fill out a uh, application, and we're going to take applications Monday through Friday. So just be knowledgeable of that. Um, also wanted to um, remind you that these three Sundays, last Sunday this Sunday and next Sunday, uh, we've been talking about sharing the gospel, how you do that, how you share the gospel effectively, where someone can understand what you're saying. And you know, I always worry, well, I, I'm afraid I'd, afraid I'd forget something. Well, I shared with you last week one word. I'm going to share with you this week another word, and I'll share with you next week still another word, three words that can kind of give you a framework for sharing the gospel. Uh, uh, an outline, if you will, to kind of follow along. And last week, uh, we talked about the word repentance. Um, Mark chapter 1, Jesus uh, reminds us that repentance is the first word of the gospel. Uh, we see in Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And so last week, we talked about repentance, which is all about realizing that most of us have run our lives in a way where, you know, we've developed our own way of thinking. And repentance is leaving our way of thinking, and it's turning to follow Christ's way of thinking. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. And that's what it means to repent. It means to leave behind our sins and to turn and, and reorient ourselves and realize that God has the best plan for our lives. And if you think about that, that's basically the, the story of the prodigal son. We talked about that last week, how the prodigal realized, you know, all this time I thought knew, I knew more than my dad. Now I'm realizing my dad knows more than I do. And that's at the heart of what repentance is. And so the first step in salvation is to come to a place of repentance. And the second step in salvation is to come to a place of trust. So let's read together as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. Although I normally read from the New American Standard translation, today I will be reading from the New Living Translation. There, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to have to talk fast because I've got a lot of territory to cover. And so if you, you know, see my lips get kind of tangled up, you know, just pray for me. I'll, I'll get through it one way or the other. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, 
You love Jesus Christ. You love him. Even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. And so last week we talked about repentance. This week we talk about that powerful word, the word trust. And of course, that word is important because we are saved not by what we do, not by our works, not by our intrinsic value, but we are saved by grace. The scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so today I want to talk with you about the word trust, and I want to remind you that the great Charles Spurgeon once said, that saving faith has basically three ingredients that build one upon another. And those ingredients are knowledge, belief, and trust. Knowledge, belief, and trust. Each component building on the next. Now, gathering knowledge is the first step in salvation. Romans ten fourteen says, How can they call on him, that is Jesus, to save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? When it comes to Jesus Christ and salvation, we have to hear the evidence. We must read the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ. And the example I'd like to use this morning is one I've used before. I think it's pretty appropriate. I want you to imagine that you've been challenged to go skydiving. Now, before you jump out of an airplane, you're going to want some instructions. You're going to want some knowledge. You're going to want to learn about parachutes and how they're packed and how they function and how you pull the ripcord. No one jumps out of an airplane without some knowledge. In in the same way, no one's going to put their trust in Jesus Christ without some knowledge. And we receive that knowledge through the pages of Holy Scripture. And so the first step in saving faith is gathering the knowledge. Second step is belief. Once a person develops a knowledge about Jesus Christ, the next step is is believing that Jesus can do what we've learned he says he can do. Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Before you jump out of an airplane, you're going to want to not only know about parachutes, You're going to need to believe they work. Knowledge isn't enough. You need the belief. You're going to need to believe that that there's evidence of their their safety and their effectiveness. You're going to need to believe that the parachute will do what it's promised to do. 2017, the United States Parachute Association recorded 24, 24 fatal skydiving accidents in the United States, but that was out of 3.2 million jumps. 24 
out of 3.2 million jumps. Well, that's one fatality for every 133,571 jumps. Now, you might think that 24 deaths is a pretty significant risk. But consider this. By the way, how many of you have ever gone to a tropical area somewhere in the Caribbean, somewhere in Hawaii? Anybody, anybody been to a tropical area? You don't travel as much as the crowd at 815, okay? I'm sure a lot of you have been to a tropical area. You know what I thought was kind of interesting? Every year, 150 people, 150 people are killed by falling coconuts. You are at greater risk going to the islands and sitting under a coconut tree than you are jumping out of an airplane. For 12,000 feet. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? When the safety of parachutes is studied carefully, most people end up not only knowing about them, but believing they're safe. Now, I've reached a special age in life. It's called the ain't going to jump out of a plane age. I'm not going to, at 65, go jumping out of an airplane, at least unless somebody pushes me. But, but the point is that once you study parachutes, you realize these are amazing, amazing contraptions and they're, they're very safe. So you've got the idea of the knowledge of them and you've got the idea of the belief about them. Now compare that to the gospel. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And again, that key word there is the word believes. Now, it's one thing to know what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. That's the knowledge part. It's another thing uh, to believe that that knowledge is in fact true. But it's still even another thing to truly trust. You see, there's knowledge, there's belief, but there's trust. That third and final component in saving faith is trust. It's one thing to learn what the Bible says about Jesus. It's it's one thing to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. But it's another thing to trust him. Jesus told his disciples to follow him. But to follow him, they had to do what? They had to trust him. Now think about it this way. It's easy to sit on the ground and say, you know what? I've learned a lot about parachutes. And I believe they are safe and they can save lives. But it takes real trust to go up into an airplane with a parachute on your back and jump out of that plane at 12,000 feet in altitude and pull the ripcord. That's trust. Now, it's not work. It's trust. The parachute does the work. In the same way with Jesus following him, trusting him. It's like jumping out of that airplane knowing that Jesus will keep you safe. 
Think about Andrew and Simon Peter who left the worldly security of their fishing business and followed Jesus. Well, that's real trust. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said they they have to follow me. They have to trust in me. They have to believe enough in me that they will leave one way of life and put their future in my hands. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, our text this morning. You love Jesus Christ even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be what? The salvation of your souls. And so saving faith is composed of these three things that build one upon another. There's the knowledge, there's the belief. And finally, there's the trust, the trust to follow Christ uh, for the rest of your life. Thus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me, we have to trust him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And it begs the question, why is it that so few people, relatively speaking, why is it that the few choose to trust Christ and the many choose not to trust Christ? And I really hope you'll key in on this and listen. I think this will help you as you're going out and you're sharing your faith with others. The preponderance. Now that word means the bulk. You heard that word in the context of the legal system. The preponderance, the bulk of evidence demands the verdict that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. Sadly, most people choose to die in their sin and be banished to hell where they're forever separated from God because they will not trust in Christ. Why? Because the preponderance of the evidence says he is exactly who he said he was. He is, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He's the savior of the world. So, so why is it that the many choose not to trust? And the few in their lives striving to find a reason to believe. I'm wired up that way. I'm striving to find those reasons to believe while others look at life differently. And they strive to spend their life finding a reason not to believe. Some look for the preponderance of the evidence. Others look for a loophole, an obscure reason to reject Christ. And it just boggles my imagination that there's all this evidence that Jesus is who he said he was and is. And there are these few questions that people have. You're like, what about the dinosaurs? I don't understand why people don't ask the question, well, what about the cross? What about the empty tomb? 
But some see people seem fixated on the dinosaurs and that dominates their thinking. They're looking for loopholes, an obscure reason to reject Christ. Some marvel at all the reasons to believe the gospel must be true. And others are always nitpicking and raising flimsy objections. Some strive to find a reason to believe. And others strive to find a reason not to believe. That's part of why witnessing is such a challenge. And so you've got these people out there striving to find a reason to believe. But you've got a lot more people striving to find a reason not to believe. Well, that leads us to the second part of our message today. I can think of at least five major, powerful reasons to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Five. Number one, creation testifies that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Something doesn't arise from nothing without a creator. Order doesn't arise from chaos without a creator. And Jesus Christ himself is one with the creator. And John chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, speaking of Jesus Christ, said all things came into being through him. It says that nothing that has come into being came apart into being apart from Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen all about God. That's been seen through what? Through what He's made. So that they, that is those who refuse to believe, are without excuse. The testimony of God's throughout creation. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14 says, In Christ Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, listen, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Listen, creation itself, the universe, the stars, the planets, the The mountains, the seas, the sky, the rolling plains, life of every description, massive life and microscopic life, the the flowers and the trees, the animals of the forest and the creatures of the sea, all of them and mankind point to the hand and mind of Almighty God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you, you look at all of that and you think, wow. I I don't know how to put it in words. But I I walk outside my house, and if it's late at night and most people have turned out their lights, I can look up into the sky, and I can see the stars. How did they get there? How did they get there? And then there are scientists who come along with elaborate explanations And my question is, but who? Who fashioned the plan to hang those stars in the heavens? God did. God did. And so we have creation that testifies of Christ. And the second thing is we have the Bible. 
The Bible testifies that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Tim Chafee writes, the Bible is unlike any other religious book. It's actually a collection of 66 books. And and despite 40 authors writing from three continents over nearly 2,000 years in different languages, it is all one consistent message of perfect truth. It's an amazing book. Its words point unerringly to Christ whose work on the cross was ordained by God, the true author of the Bible before the world began. It's a divine book. It's not just a book that ought to be on your shelf. It's a divine book. It's a unified book. It's an inerrant book. It's an accurate book. It's an inspiring book. It's a prophetic book. It's an archaeologically and historically sound book. It's a life-changing book. According to Josh McDowell, the Old Testament features over 300 predictions, over 300 prophecies which were and are being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. These are things Jesus could not have orchestrated if he were a mere man. The prophets declared that Jesus would be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, born of the tribe of Judah and of the lineage of David. He would be called Emmanuel. He would be preceded by a messenger. That was John the Baptist. He would be known as a worker of miracles and a teacher of parables. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. He'd be rejected by his own people. He'd be silent before his accusers as he was when he was arrested and tried. He would be executed among criminals. He would die by crucifixion. He would be pierced in his hands and in his feet. He would be wounded in his side as well. He would suffer in darkness during the middle of the day and would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Peter Stoner writes about the odds of these kind of things happening, these prophecies being fulfilled in the life of one man. And he he compared the odds. He said they were one in 100 quadrillion. Such a probability is incomprehensible, but Stoner says it is like this. Imagine the state of Texas. Imagine you have just a multitude of trucks filled with silver dollars and you drive all these trucks to Texas and you dump these silver dollars across Texas and you have silver dollars covering Texas uh, all across the state to a depth of two feet. Now imagine you take one of those silver dollars and you paint that silver dollar red and you go out there somewhere in the state of Texas and you hide that one silver dollar and then you blindfold a man and you drop him in the state of Texas blindfolded and you tell him to walk across the state and find a place and take his hand on the first attempt And take that hand, push it down through that stack of silver dollars two feet thick over the whole state of Texas. And let the first silver dollar he picks up be that one you painted red. That's what it means to say one in 100 quadrillion. Jesus fulfilled an amazing number of prophecies. And the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he said, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Yes, there can be no doubt 
The Bible testifies that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He's King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. And so you've got creation screaming Jesus. You have the scriptures declaring Christ is the Messiah. And then there's a third thing. They're the symbols of the Bible, the manger, the cross, the empty tomb. The manger, the cross, and the empty tomb testify that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and Savior. He was a historical figure. He, he wasn't something that, that some person created as a fictional character. He isn't myth. He isn't imaginary. He was, he is, he always will be real. He was born in Bethlehem. Even the stars testified of his arrival. And the wise men from the east came many miles to worship him and present him with gifts that spoke of his royalty and his divinity and his sacrificial death, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. He grew up in a carpenter's home. He lived a sinless life. He completed a three-year ministry. And then he was arrested and eventually he was nailed to a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Hundreds of years before his crucifixion, the prophet Isaiah, think about this. I mean, just think about this. Hundreds of years before Jesus did walk this earth, the prophet Isaiah said he would. And he described him in this way. He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us have like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on the Lamb. To fall on Christ. To fall on the Messiah. And when he was suffering. And that suffering was complete. And the Roman centurion who supervised his execution was looking over the scene. Jesus was dead on the cross. And the Roman centurion, the one given the responsibility of killing Christ, said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which, I also, which you also received, in which also you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. But some have fallen asleep. He, he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of, of God. And so here you have the manger speaking of the incredible incarnation of Christ. You, you've got the cross reminding us that of the crucifixion, how much he loved us and he died for us. And then you have the empty tomb, the resurrection, that death could not hold him in the grave. For he was the perfect savior. He was the Messiah. He was the redeemer of mankind. So think about what you have there. You got creation crying out, he is the savior. 
You have the scriptures crying out, he's the savior, the fulfiller of prophecy. You've got all of that, and then you've got these wonderful symbols of the Christian faith that remind us of what he did. But listen, I'm not finished, friends. Fourth, there's the transformed lives of those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And those transformed lives testify that Jesus is indeed Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus changes lives. That is not an arguable fact. That is true. That is real. He's changed my life. He's changed yours. Atheists have become believers. It happens every day. Murderers have become missionaries. It happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. Thieves have become ministers of the gospel. Alcoholics have been delivered from their addictions. Liars have become champions of the truth. Blasphemers have become poets of grace. All you have to do is think about John Newton. Blasphemers. He was a blasphemer of God. But he became a poet of grace. And people sing his song, Amazing Grace. A lot of them don't even know why they're singing it. They're just, they just know it's a masterpiece of truth. Criminal politicians have become prison chaplains. Adulterers have become faithful spouses. The greedy have become feeders of the hungry. Romans 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too might do what? Walk in the newness of life. The transformed lives of believers testify that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord and Savior. And then finally, there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit offers testimony to us that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord and Savior of everyone who will put their trust in Christ. The conviction of and conversion by the Holy Spirit offers testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. I know the Holy Spirit is real because he has dealt with my heart and you know it too. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart even today. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit that when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Then in John 15, 26, Jesus said, when the helper, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He'll testify about me. He'll point you in my direction. The inner working of the Holy Spirit does indeed do this. He testifies that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world. Listen, again, I I don't know that I could make a more important point than this. We, We can't seem to get our minds wrapped around, why is it some people say no? And it basically goes back to this. There are some people that are just wired up. They're looking for a reason not to believe. And they'll cause you to pull your hair out. But you just have to keep praying for them and keep asking the Holy Spirit to work in their heart. There are people who just simply choose 
to look for a reason not to believe. But praise God, there are those who are choosing, for, choosing to look for a reason to believe. And those people are going to find Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the great. Salvation is available to everyone who believes, and there's plenty of reason to believe. The question is, are you looking for a reason to believe or looking for a reason not to? Don't be a nitpicker. Be a believer. There's no future in nitpicking, no future in fault finding, no future in hair splitting when it comes to the Bible. I mean, do you know of anyone who is remembered and revered as a champion in our culture and someone says, what did they accomplish? Oh, they were a great nitpicker. They were the best nitpicker our society's ever seen. They were a wonderful critic. They did better at fault finding than anyone in all the world. They were a tremendous hair splitter. No. Don't be a nitpicker. Be a believer. You've heard the old saying, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, looks like a duck, swims like a duck, flies like a duck, eats like a duck, and has the DNA of a duck, it's got to be what? A duck. And yet some will object. Maybe someone implanted that duck DNA in that, in that animal. Just kind of used a little needle and injected it. Maybe someone painted its feathers to look like a duck. Maybe someone attached a little sound box to its little neck so it quacked like a duck. Maybe it's a chicken with artificial duck feet. You say, that's stupid, Joe. But that's what the world does with Christ. Hey, what about the dinosaurs? Hey, what about the people who never, who never hear of Christ? Hey, what about the people who live a good life and they, and they never accept Christ? They're nitpickers. Are you looking for a reason to believe? To put your trust in Jesus Christ who came to this earth to die for you and rise from the dead? Or are you looking for a reason not to believe and therefore reject Jesus forever? I don't know about you, but a long time ago I chose to put my trust in Jesus Christ. Where do you plan to place your trust? Again, let's review real quick. Saving faith has two has three components: knowledge, belief, and trust. Learning about Jesus, believing that he is who he said he is, and then trusting him enough to follow him. And then we found out that the reason that that so many people do not believe is that they are looking for a reason not to believe. Be one of those people who is looking for a reason to believe. And there are five powerful reasons. We went over them. Five powerful reasons. The testimony of creation, the testimony of the Bible, the testimony of the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb, the testimony of transformed lives as you see everywhere, and the testimony of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. By the, by, by the preponderance of the evidence, it is clear. Jesus Christ is who he said he was. We need to repent. We need to trust. And next week we'll find out the last thing we need to do 
and that is to surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you today for the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the wonderful patience of this congregation who's listened to this rather lengthy message. But Lord, it has been a message that has has needed to be preached. It's a message that needs to be heard. It's a message that needs to be embraced. Lord, thank you for all that you've done to make it clear to us that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. He's the Savior of the world. Thank you for making that abundantly clear. Thank you for the preponderance of evidence. Now, may we leave this place and go out and share that evidence with a lost and dying world. And if, Lord, there is one here today who has never trusted Christ, may today be the day that they give in to the preponderance of the evidence, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And, Father, for all the rest of us, may we commit ourselves this day to be bearers of the good news to a lost and dying community all around us that desperately needs to hear about Jesus. Lord, we love you. We offer our prayer in Christ's name.